0: Observation, interpretation, and application. Three words that will change your Bible study. But only if you stick around for this episode. Well, and watch the rest of the series. But trust me, it is totally worth it. Last week on Christianity Still Makes Sense, we kicked off a mini-series, which we're calling A Doubter's Guide to Studying the Bible, where we're learning how to study the Bible by focusing on three key words, namely observation, interpretation, and application. Now, as we said on last week's show, observation asks the question, what do I see? Interpretation asks the question, what does it mean? And application answers the question, how does it work? ultimately we want you living out what you're working out in scripture on last week's show we talked about our first keyword observation this week we shift to our second word which is interpretation now here's the thing if you're listening and you're looking for a way to approach the bible more responsibly and confidently then we've got some thoughts for you to consider on today's episode as we explore what it means to properly interpret the bible It's a gift that we get to learn God's word together, but a gift that we're to steward well as faithful interpreters of scripture. As New Testament Greek scholar Dan Wallace so aptly put, as a Protestant, I cherish the New Testament teaching on the priesthood of believers, that each Christian has a right to his own interpretation, but also that each Christian has the responsibility to get it right. And that's exactly what we hope to do on today's episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. We want to unpack some principles that can equip you to get it right. Now, let's begin to unpack this week's acrostic word of interpretation, beginning with the letter I. Now, Bobby, you say that we're to inspect other translations to discover textual differences. Explain.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. That's what the in- I stands for for the inspect, and so we do, we want to come to a place where we look at different translations and then that can sometimes show us a textual difficulty. Now when it does come to translations, a word about them. Uh, There are literal translations, dynamic equivalent translations, and paraphrase translations. A literal translation looks at the Greek and the Hebrew and they try to translate into English, let's say, um, the most literal word that we have that would compare to the Greek or the Hebrew word. Now, there's no such thing as like a perfect literal translation because our English words can't always capture the Greek or the Hebrew word, but that is the attempt with a literal translation. And those would be translations like KJV, NASB, ESV. and so on and so forth uh, when it comes to dynamic equivalent they're looking at the greek and the hebrew as translators and they're trying to translate the best idea uh, to capture the greek or hebrew word so it's not quite as literal it's not as wooden it's more dynamic so to speak but they're still trying to be true to the idea of the word and then a paraphrase would be you know adding some words even to help make sense of it your paraphrase would be like kenneth taylor's um, the living bible or eugene peterson the message your dynamic equivalent would be the new living translation or the niv so when you start putting some of these translations side by side what you can see is some variance and this can make you think that there is a potential textual problem so take for example first john five seven and eight and this is known as the comma uh, and comma just means short clause. Uh, now, basically, when you're looking at the King James, it reads like this For there are three that bear record in heaven the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, that's the comma, that's the extra clause. And then it goes on to say, And there are three that bear witness on earth the Spirit. And the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. Well, when you look at an NASB or an ESV compared to the KJV or New King James, uh, it's not going to have there are three that bear record in heaven the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And that is believed to have been a later addition in order to ascribe Trinitarian theology clearly in the scripture. But this wasn't in our earliest Greek manuscripts. It wasn't in Jerome's Latin Vulgate, and it really wasn't until the third edition of Erasmus Textus Receptus New Testament Greek edition, edition because the Roman Catholic Church uh, you know, mandated that he include that, that comma, johannium. So that is an example of when you look at the text that that can help you. So you take, for example, the Textus Receptus, which Erasmus was working with. And out of that would come KJV, New King James. But then you take the critical text of the Greek and the Hebrew, and these would be uh, some of the scripts that were discovered at the Dead Sea Scrolls in the 1940s. And we see that those predate the Textus Receptus by some thousand years, and they don't include the comma johannium.
0: Just real quickly, we have lots of letters to get through. When you preach on Sundays, what version are you usually preaching from?
1: I take, uh, the ESV. Uh, I don't think that, uh, it's the only, you know, version, uh, that I could use with comfort. I think there's other good versions out there, but that's the one I've used for quite some time.
0: Excellent. Well, okay. So let's discuss the N, which stands for never impose current definitions and cultural norms on ancient definitions and customs. Explain.
1: Yeah. Well, I'd like to invite our listeners to think about where, you know, perhaps they see this happening uh, where we impose our culture on the Bible. I'll share with uh, you know our listeners one way that we can be careful to not do this is when you're reading your Bible and you come across a word and you want to know what it means, don't go to an English dictionary like Webster's to find that meaning out because we need a Bible dictionary that's going to help us to understand the way the words were used in that ancient milieu. So that's something that's really important. You do see with a lot of the LGBTQ plus stuff today, where we're imposing our agenda on the Bible. So now, when it comes to Genesis 19, on the passage of Sodom and Gomorrah, you'll hear, "Oh, the sin wasn't because you know they wanted to you know have homosexual relations with Lot's guests." Rather, the sin was a lack of hospitality toward Lot's guests, and so you can see a stretch, and we have to be careful that we don't do that.
0: Okay, next you say that we should tease out the main viewpoints for the passage that we're studying. What does this look like?
1: Well, this is important, especially for doubters and deconstructors, Tim, who've only been introduced to one view. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times what takes place is, you know, there are those that end up in the progressive Christian camp, but they've come out of a tight legalistic Uh, you know, church that didn't leave room for them to learn about other views. So to them, they felt like they were in a doctrinal dress that was too constraining. Mm -hmm. And so I do think it's important that we're honest as it relates to our discipleship with Christians, that we say, hey, there's different viewpoints that are out there and that can take place on things like creation. Uh, We need to unify the church around Genesis 1 and 2 and the fact that God created us in His image to steward the universe that we live in, yet we don't need to split the church over the length of time it took for God to create. There are some that are young earthers, there are some that are old earthers, and we need to be gracious with each other on this. When it comes to different views of the Bible, I think we should share the different tribulation views, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath. Uh, You know, I think we should do this with creation. I think with Calvinism and Arminianism and Molinism, we need to let people be aware of the different views and then let them think through that. A lot of times I think we don't do that because it feels more easy to manage a church perhaps for some pastors if everybody sees things their way. But I think it takes a greater maturity for our church leaders to give people room to, uh, you know, dress doctrinally different than maybe they do without compromise so you know you believe the god's creator but you're not sure exactly you know you agree on the timing of how long it took or what have you
0: Uh, excellent point now let's consider the e where you encourage us to evaluate and be able to critique heretical interpretations
1: yeah, so heretical interpretations, uh, you know, will emerge. You'll be in certain passages sometimes where people will, um, you know, abuse a particular passage. You can see this if I give you one verse as an example in John one one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Well, the New World Translation says uh, that, and the word was a god and the reason they say that is because they'll say in the greek there was no definite article that is the greek word ha and they'll say that wasn't before uh you know the greek word theos so there's not a ha theos it's just theos so and the ha would be like you know the word the our article so they'll say you translate that as an arthurus which would be a, a god in that situation But Jehovah's Witnesses aren't consistent because when you read in the very same chapter, there's several other times where there's not a ha, a definite article before the word theos. So, for example, there was a man who was sent from theos, from God. It doesn't say there was a man who was sent from ha-theos. It just says from theos. But they don't say there was a man who was sent from a God. So they're just trying to, you know, reduce the divinity of Jesus down to a mere man.
0: Well, and perhaps that piqued the interest of our audience. We have a whole episode of our Unapologetic show where we did uh, What to Do When the Jehovah Witnesses Knocks on Your Door. So I will put that in the uh, description to this uh, podcast. But we got lots of letters to get through. So the R states that we're going (laughs) to recognize the time frame that your passage was written. Why is this so important, Bobby?
1: Well, because if you're reading, for example, in the book of Leviticus, and you don't realize you're under an old covenant time frame, then you might feel bound to certain dietary laws. But when you read in Acts chapter 10, you see that those dietary laws, they they serve their purpose, right? I mean, they came to an end with the atonement, but Peter is told by Jesus, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, I've never eaten anything unclean, right? He's followed the dietary laws. And Jesus says, don't call unclean what I've made clean. In other words, the dietary law was a symbolic picture of kind of, separation, right? Jew, Gentiles. But then under the new covenant, we're all made one at the cross. And so then he gets a knock on the door right after this encounter. And it's that household of Cornelius showing up for him to go and share the gospel with Cornelius and his household. Those who would have been considered unclean now have an opportunity to be clean through the cross.
0: Okay. Well, the next one is one of my favorite ones. You say the P, which stands for purchase a good Bible software program like Logos to assist us in your studies. How might this help us?
1: It helps save a ton of time. So if somebody was to get a program like Logos, uh, they can do a lot with it. They can compare Bible translation side by side. Uh, They can, you know, put their cursor over a word and just click it and it'll automatically bring up the lemma or kind of the root word or let you see the way that the word functions in the Greek. Uh, You can even, you know, type in a passage that you want to study and then push search. And then within seconds, it'll show all that you have in your library related to the particular search that you wanna do. So you're basically hiring a research assistant to save you a ton of time. And that's why I'd encourage people to get this.
0: And you have the Cadillac version, but there are several levels <laughs> of Logos, but there's also free ones out there. So we'll just encourage people uh, yeah. to, to look into. But if, if, if someone has a software program, it really makes this next point, this next R, which stands for review various tools such as Bible dictionaries, commentaries, maps, and word study aids. Um, you know, Us being kind of the nerdy family that we are, we got a Bible dictionary for Christmas for our family and for our kids and stuff. So we read that a lot. But how else might this help us?
1: It helps us a ton, again, especially with saving time, Tim. I mean, in the past, I mean, even when I was, you know, in ministry earlier, I mean, I would have to get out my maps and my Bible study tools and I have to get it all out and have to look up everything and then hold my place. I mean, you can have, you know, one word searches and it can just produce ample material. But again, uh, it's important that you have, you know, Bible dictionaries versus Webster's English Dictionary, because we want to understand the word in its time. Same thing with maps. You don't want to look at current maps. You want maps that would understand the time of the Bible passage that you're looking at, because land locations change under different wars and different regimes. And so we have to be aware of that kind of thing. Um, Blue Letter Bible is a free um, app that people can go and check out online. And that will also give them some access to some of these great tools to help them in their study.
0: Well, I, I know you have said this before, and I completely agree that when we're looking at commentaries, we, we try to want to stay away from maybe commentaries that are just written by one person. We really like the commentaries that uh, you know have an expert that's highlighting uh, that certain book that's kind of you know written for, you know, that's their expertise. That's what they went to school for. So that's really helpful as well. So this next point, the E, I think is so crucial. And here you stress that we should evaluate the meaning behind metaphors, parables, apocalyptic imagery, and other figures of speech. So take us to English school here.
1: Yeah, well, we want to get a sense of the grammatical terrain that we're dealing with. And this is why it's so important that we teach people how to study the Bible. Imagine everybody going out to watch a fisherman at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. And everybody had a pole, uh, but they didn't fish. They just watched the fisherman. And then the fisherman impressed them, blew them away. But then he went home and people kind of had their pole and they watched, but they really didn't know what to do. Well, how much more effective would these people carrying their poles be if the fishermen at the 10 o'clock hour said, let me teach you how to bait your hook. Let me show you how to use certain bait to catch certain fish. Let me show you the kind of um, times that fish will bite at that you're looking for versus other fish that won't bite at that time and educate them. Well, you know, it's been said, give a man a fish, feed him a meal, teach a man a fish, feed him for a lifetime. And I think that's what a lot of happens in church. People show up at church and they watch the fishermen unpack the word and they're there with their poles in hand, but they never are taught how to cast the line. They're never taught how to fish. And that's why it's so important that we understand the grammatical terrain that we're up against. And we teach people uh, how to interpret the Bible properly. uh, And it can be so huge. And so there is metaphorical language in the Bible. There's parables, there's apocalyptic imagery, there's figures of speech like similes, and there's antonyms and synonyms and comparisons and contrasts. There's different structures like chiastic structures. So by learning some of this stuff, it gives us tools so that we're not overly wooden, but also so that we don't miss literal meaning. So this is so important to our Bible study.
0: Okay. Next, you say that we should uh, that we should share the the T, right? So the T is to tap into our spirit of God for wisdom on how to interpret accurately. And we talked a little bit about this last week in our observation, but uh, unpack this a bit more for us.
1: Yeah, I would invite people to go check out First Corinthians chapter two, verse fourteen, where it talks about how you know the natural person isn't able to spiritually discern truth. And so we need to be praying for the Holy Spirit to help open our eyes to see the truth of God's word.
0: Okay, so for the A, you state that we must aim to align our thoughts and feelings with God's word. Now, why is this so important for us to do, Bobby?
1: Because we need to make sure that we get ourselves out of the way, so to speak. So we don't come to the Bible and try to impose what we think it should say, but rather we sit under the scripture and we're trying to align our thoughts and feelings to resonate with the Bible. Uh, A good way to begin deconstructing and struggling with doubt is when your feelings and your thoughts don't align with the things you're reading in the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And you're wanting to avoid that disconnect by making sure that you get behind the resistance to your thoughts and feelings and ask the Lord to help you to deal with that so that you can be biblically measured and biblically aligned in your thoughts and feelings.
0: Well, I know for a lot of us, this T seems obvious for some of the believers, but even people that are deconstructing, they they might not necessarily agree here, but I think it's really important. So you say that we should emphasize this T, and that's the trust that we're dealing with God's word. Talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it seems obvious, but if we're going to the Bible and uh, we're trying to treat it as God's Word, uh, we need to believe it's God's Word. Uh, we need to believe that it's trustworthy, right? Second Timothy 3, 16, you know, all scripture is God-breathing, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, right? We learn in Second Peter 1 that, you know, men Uh, You know, they were moved by the spirit, carried along by the spirit. So when we come to the scripture, we need to recognize that it's trustworthy. And that means we give the benefit of the doubt to the Bible uh, and we trust in the Bible. Like if it was good enough for Jesus, so to speak, like the Old Testament, then it should be good enough for us. Even when we have questions around some of the bizarre things that we can't wrap our head around.
0: Well, yeah, and again, I'll remind our audience, the first episode that we did at Christianity Still Makes Sense here back in January of 2023, we kind of talked about those. We we looked at some of those absurd passages and say, what do we do with them and and can we make sense of them? So I would encourage our audience that's scratching their heads, being like, hmm, to check out that episode. Now, we're getting close to the end. We only have a few letters to go. For the I, you said that we should interpret difficult verses in light of clearer verses.
1: Yeah, as much as we can, you know, Scripture can help us interpret Scripture. Uh, this isn't like a principle that you find in the Bible, for example, like, hey, uh, interpret difficult verses and light a clearer verse. If for that matter, even the whole you know endeavor of Bible study methods, we're just doing our best to, to arrive at truth, but there is no perfect method, and the Bible doesn't lay out a Bible study hermeneutic for us, so to speak but we are trying to do our best to understand the way that they understood language and words and the way that people receive them so that we can be faithful interpreters. That said, sometimes you can read a verse and it's a little bit unclear, but if you look at that and consider other verses uh, that are clear, then it can crystallize for you. So take, for example, Acts two thirty eight: repent then and be baptized every one of you uh, for the forgiveness of your sins. And so you get the Church of Christ as a denomination that says, it is required that you are baptized for salvation. Well, obviously this, in light of the broader context, doesn't make sense, especially considering Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, where he says, you know, for God did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Well, if the gospel was part of uh, what, uh, if, the, if the gospel, yeah. you know, yeah, baptism included the gospel, Uh, then that would make sense that we are to be baptized. But we're not told to be baptized. So Paul says, hey, I didn't baptize hardly any of you, just a few of you, and I'm glad I didn't. So Acts 2.38, it can be difficult, but the the clue can be in the Greek word for, uh, which is gar. And so repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins, or with a view toward having your sins forgiven is another way, or as a result, of your sins having been forgiven. So there's different ways that we can work with that word for to make sense of that in light of the broader context.
0: Excellent. Well, the the O is another good warning to remember, and that is that we're supposed to oppose building major doctrines on isolated verses.
1: Yes, and I would say that's a general rule of thumb. Uh, yep. I would say that uh, that's not Always the case, take, for example, the Great Commission, you know, go and, you know, baptize, you know, people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. You know, that's kind of like a real tight command, but but it's so clear. It's Jesus' last words. There's not ambiguity around what it means. So maybe the better way of looking at it is, you know, oppose building major doctrines around isolated and unclear verses. So take, for example, 1 Corinthians 15, 29, where it talks about baptism for the dead. Well, the Mormon church, they've set up these baptismal centers where you can go and get baptized on behalf of the dead. But that's problematic because we can't be a substitute for anybody, uh, you know, who has died. Uh, We can't substitute our life. There's one substitute, and that is Jesus. He dies in our place. And so there's so many different interpretations on that verse that I think that we're just better off saying we really don't know. It's an isolated, unclear verse. We can say these are some of the different interpretations, but we're just not really sure what it means at the end of the day.
0: Okay. We've made it. We're at the end. We've made (laughs) it to the the, the end and the end of our acrostic here, and that stands for to nail down the author's intended meaning by summarizing it into an interpretive sentence. What does that look like, Bobby?
1: So after you kind of walk through the observation acrostic that we discussed last week, which I would encourage people to go back and listen to, and the interpretation acrostic this week, people can just have those two uh, acrostics. Again, this is just an aid to help them to start moving toward the uh, central purpose of what the text before them is about. And so I think that you can just get some wisdom. So you take, for example, 1 John, uh, that book. uh, Well, chapter 5, verse 13 Uh, we're told the purpose, right? John says, I've written these things to you who believe uh, in the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, that's the key verse. And the purpose of 1 John was to offer assurance of salvation to those who might be doubting it. And so look for key verses in chapters, in a book, But 1 John 5.13 nicely puts it in place there. And so for any doubters, anyone deconstructing, 1 John is a great little book that has some tests to help you to understand why you should have assurance of your salvation or not.
0: Well, we made it all the way through the acrostic. Bobby, well done. These are really helpful uh, tips and tools for studying the Bible. And thank you so much for kind of laying this out for us in a way that makes sense and is, is pretty practical.
1: Of course. Thank you, Tim.
0: Well, this is just one show and a three-part series. And if you haven't checked out the rest of the series, you can find them on our YouTube channel in the Christianity Still Makes Sense playlist. Look for episodes 18, 19, and 20. Or if you're here on YouTube checking us out, you can go ahead and click right here. Thank you for checking out this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. This show is just one of the many resources available to those who are doubting their Christian faith. You can also find others at ChristianityStillMakesSense.com. This is a listener-supported show, and your gift of any amount helps shows like this continue. Click on the donate link on our website. Also, catch Bobby on Pastor's Perspective, where he answers your questions. Finally, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to click subscribe and check out our other videos on the channel. This show is sponsored by K-Wave and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.